Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we're going to begin with verse 1. And we are continuing our series on Wednesday night. We're talking about bumper sticker theology. And folks, how, how many of you know that there is a lot of made-up stuff out there that isn't necessarily in the Bible? And I'm going to deal with one tonight that is very, very common. And I'm going to give it this phrase here, don't judge me. And the idea is that if we judge something, that means we're judging someone. I, I, I want to I teach on that tonight. There is a distinction between offering in love a judgment to someone that says that thing is bad, that thing is not right. Just because there's something that isn't right doesn't mean I'm calling you bad. Doesn't mean I'm condemning you or criticizing you. But I am called, especially in the lives of other Christians, to fruit and come on. And there's a difference. There is a phrase that is said often because people misquote this, this chapter, this text tonight, that's said often, well, Jesus, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And I, I really, I don't think the world, I don't think even the church really knows what Jesus was saying there. And I hope to kind of elucidate on that a little bit tonight, elaborate on it as well, bring some light to that word. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you have called us to love one another, not to condemn one another. Lord, we know that your son is the perfect judge. We're not to take his place. But, Father, we are to share the truth. And, God, we are to share it in love. And, God, just because we love someone does not mean we don't share the truth. God, we are not here to accommodate sin. We are here, God, to live our lives as holy and grow in that holiness as much as we can, as much as your spirit empowers us to do it. And God, we give you all the praise and the thanks, God, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever watched Judge Judy? I'm a big fan. I've watched Judge Judy, Shinelin, for, for years. I, re I remember all the way back when uh, my kids were little, Judge Judy would come on and I would, uh, I would get excited. You know, because, you know, uh, it, it judge, before Judge Judy, there was Judge Wapner. Come on. You remember Judge Wapner? And he was brutal, man. Judge Judy, everybody thinks she's so brutal. Judge Wapner was brutal. I mean, he laid it on the line. And then there was Judge Joe Brown, right? Every once in a while, uh, Joe Brown would get a little tick, too. But there's a thing called, um, on Judge Judy, Judaisms, right? You, you've heard of this? Well, she had certain phrases, kind of like a pastor I know, just kind of says things all the time and they become kind of cliche but but anyway uh, she had certain phrases and one of them is beauty fades but dumb is forever that was a that's a that's a judaism well i did a little bit of research i wanted to do some fact checking on on that show she's got a new show now with her granddaughter her granddaughter is on that show as well and uh it's kind of enjoyable because sometimes her granddaughter doesn't agree with her and you can kind of see, well, that's my grandbaby, so I'm just going to let her disagree with me. But nobody else can disagree with her. It's kind of, it's kind of neat how that works. But, but anyways, um, here's, what, here's how that show works. You're paid $100 to go on that show. $100. Now, they fly you in. They pay all your expenses, your meals and everything else. But you're just given $100 and then whatever the ruling is on the show. That's it. 
Now, I'm not here to bust out Judge Judy, but she makes $25 million a year to do that show. She actually flies in on her own plane to do that show. Nothing wrong with that. It's America. You know, if you can get a bunch of people to watch you, right, and it's not sinful, and you can get a bunch of people to, to, to watch a show where you make a ruling, go for it. I mean, not a big deal. But I want to, I want to show you, I think some of us get pretty excited when we see somebody make a correct judgment. That's just kind of me. That's what got me kind of into the show when I start because I see some people come on there, and I'm just going to go there. I hope you don't get offended by this, but I'd see some re people just get dumb, you know, and Judy would just call it, and I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed it a little bit, but just to have a show where they kind of came out and made the right call or made the right judgment seemed kind of satisfying. And I think sometimes we miss the idea here because in the world we're, we're told don't judge me you know you're not my judge you're not the you're not the judge you're you're not the one that can make the ruling and then this scripture comes out that i'm about to read right now that most people quote that i would say the people that quote it the most often are the ones that misinterpret it the most it's matthew chapter 7 uh, verse 1 it says do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Now stay with me. Watch this last part. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying disregard the specks in other people's eyes. Jesus is saying if you're going to seek to help your brother, that's what this is about. This is not even about, can I help you with this? This is not even about the lost. Because this is part of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is actually talking to people who want to be his potential followers. And how do I know this? Because when you jump down to verse 6, you're going to see something very, very interesting there. Anybody there in verse 6? You look down at the bottom and you see some things. You, you move uh, on to verse 6 and you see Jesus. He starts to talk about, watch this. He says, do not give to the dogs... What is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So in other words, don't give truth to dogs and hogs. Don't cast pearls before poodles and pigs. Right? He's talking about only bring the truth to the people who have already received the truth. Are you catching this? The lost, no offense, they don't know God, so they wallow. Come on. And, and think about the story of the prodigal son. Where was he? He was lost. He was, he was with the hogs. Come on. He was in the mud and in the muck. Jesus isn't saying go around and go, look at how dirty you are. Look at how much you're in the muck. Look, you're with the pigs. The lost are going to go, what? 
Don't judge me, man. Jesus is talking about the people who already have the truth. Now watch this. How do I know this? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says this of the Lord. The Lord disciplines only those He loves. Hello? And chastens, or chastens everyone who is His Son. Who does God discipline? The ones He His kids. Not the lost. Hello? This ought to help you hermeneutically interpret this Scripture correctly. Jesus is saying, when you come to your brother... First, you got to look in the mirror. And if you call yourself a Christian, make sure before you go to them and you show them the truth and love that you look in your own eye in the mirror and say, is there a two by four there? Before you start to inspect the speck that is in your brother's eye. There's a lot of people that misinterpret what judgment is and Jesus is using a, uh, a form of grammar style here called hyperbole. Hyperbole. Hyperbole is going above and beyond in ridiculous terms to jokingly, all right? And yes, Jesus did have a sense of humor. He is a four-year-old could understand the joke. We miss it, all right? Don't look at the sawdust in your brother's eye with a two-by-four sticking out of yours. That's hyperbole. He doesn't, he doesn't mean literally there's a two-by-four in your eye or a log in your eye. He's using a form of speech to say in a joking manner, you got to start with you and then with your brother. Now, I can imagine while he's teaching this, uh, some of the other teachers hearing this, and maybe they interpreted it this way, in a Jewish way. Did you hear the one about the guy straining a gnat and swallowing a camel? Oy vey, right? Did you hear the one about the guy who had a log in his eye to get the speck out of his own eye? Oy vey. Or perhaps you've heard this statement from England. Look at the pot calling the kettle black. Or how about the Norwegians who say, don't throw stones if you live in a... Come on. Or how about the Arabic people who say, the camel cannot see the crookedness of its own neck, right? Or the Germans... One donkey chides another for being long-eared. Or the Uzbek people, the man with no pants, laughs at the one with a hole in his pants. <laughs> or the Hungarians, the owl tells the sparrow, it has a fat head. But the very famous and the one that I love the most comes from Japan. I actually heard this while I was in Japan. My daughter taught me this. The Japanese say this, the sleep in one's eyes shouldn't laugh at the snot in someone else's nose. Leave it to the Japanese to give us sushi and to give us that statement. Right? And Jesus is saying, start with you. If there's something in your life, begin there. Then you'll be able to see, number one, and help your brother. The idea isn't to not help your brother. Look, when my kids were little, my daughters especially, when they would play outside and they would do different things out in the garage, garage they would play with my tools and sometimes they'd play with wood and they'd get splinters in their fingers. And I can remember my girls coming in and saying, Dad, Dad, get the splinter out. And not one time when my kids came in and said that to me did I say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, sorry kids, I got, I'm sorry, I got bigger splinters in my hand. 
I've got big splinters that I've got to deal with. No, especially because I love them. I said, come here. And I tenderly, gently, carefully, in love, help them with the splinter. Come on. You have a responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. You have a responsibility to another believer if they're dealing with something in their life, you are responsible and God wants you to help them. The idea isn't to criticize or condemn. The idea is to care and to share God's love. So let's look at the misunderstanding here. The idea is, who appointed you as judge? I'll answer that. Jesus did. Jesus did. And he did it in our text. He said, you're the one that first must start with you Come on. And then you'll be able to help your brother with what's going on with him, right? So Jesus did. Those wishing to justify their continuance, though, in sin, right, are the ones who quote this and misquote this the most often. When Jesus said, don't judge or you'll be judged, he wasn't, permit, he wasn't prohibiting us from very fairly and in a caring way coming to someone and saying, I'm praying for you about that matter. God's word says this, I love you. I'm praying about that. Is there any way that I can encourage you? Is there any way that I can help? Right? He wasn't saying don't do that. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me ask you, how would that same philosophy of life apply to anywhere else? Let, let's, let's help each other out here, okay? So what if, you're, what if your seven-year-old grandson or granddaughter or child says, ah, you told me to clean my room, don't judge me. You gotta correct that. Hello? You wanna do it at seven. Okay? Before it turns 17. Right? You wanna correct that. Right? Think about these things. What about teachers? Don't they grade their students all the time? Well, don't judge me. I shouldn't get a grade. Nobody in this class should get a grade. Hey, you all get participation trophies. Everybody showed up. Everybody's a winner. That's not life. Right? How about when you go to the grocery store? Come on, I know you, I know you squeeze those apples and you, you check. My wife is, oh, we'll go to the store together and she'll say, nope, not that one. And we're talking about watermelons, okay? So I'll go in there and get one. Nope, not that one. I'll grab, nope, not that one. And she knows where the little circle ought to be, right? And she'll know, she'll know when it's cantaloupe or when it's certain types of fruit, she'll know exactly what is she doing. She's inspecting. She's fruit inspecting. And God has called us to do the same. For instance, there was a woman years ago, and I'm not going to give names or the show that it was on, but this woman was in Oklahoma, and she went through some church discipline. How about that? Church discipline. What is that anymore? She went through some church discipline because she decided to start a relationship with a man in the church that was married to another woman in the church. She was married too. And when the pastor sat them all down and said, can you please just stay with your spouse, right? And knock off the sin. Then out came the, don't judge me. Next, she wanted to become a member of the church. The pastor said, you can become a member of a church as soon as you repent of sleeping with this woman's husband. Don't judge me. She filed a lawsuit. This is in Oklahoma ended up on a very famous talk show. The talk show hostess came out and said, well, doesn't the scripture say, judge not, 
lest you be judged. Jesus said that, right? Disregarding the context of what Jesus is talking about. The lawsuit didn't pass, praise God. It didn't, they, it, it didn't pass. The host expressed the attitude that a lot of people think this verse means, though. I want to tell you what judgment means in this verse, okay? Here is the Greek word krino. Krino. It's where we get the word criteria. It's where we get the word criteria. What does krino mean? I want to separate it from common vernacular and defining in our Western culture the word judge. When we hear judgment or judge, we hear condemn, and we hear somebody who sits up high and mighty, wears a robe, strikes a gavel, and then decides what your fate is going to be. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Okay? Crino or criteria means to separate. Think about this. It means to separate. It means to inspect. It means to, it means to pull out quality. Right? The idea here, when Jesus says judge is, you're talking to a brother in Christ or sister in Christ. It means to speak to the king in them, not the fool. It means to separate the foolishness from the king. It means to encourage the nobility of the person who is now a child of God. Are you getting this? It does not mean to condemn them. It does not mean to criticize them. It does not mean to strike the gavel. We know there's only one good judge, and that is Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is, start with you, because if you're not willing to start with you, you need to understand you've got no business judging at all. Hello? None at all. And, and so, but if you're willing to help your brother after you've started with you, then you need to help your brother understand that there are certain things that are not him. It's like, it's like Michelangelo, when he began to carve David, began to chip away, chip away, chip away, and they said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm carving out the angel. There's an angel trapped inside. And I'm chipping away the stone. I'm removing what shouldn't be there so that the angel can come out. And it was David. That was the result of his work. When God sees you and he sends people into your life, they're not chipping away at your life because they're trying to remove your life. They're chipping away at your life to remove from your life what does not belong, what is not holy, what is not of God and will not bless you. And I got to speak to an American culture today who says, you can't tell me a thing. And God says, you're a fool if you can't be told a thing. If you can't receive truth, then you're not his child. No friends. Okay. Criteria. Before you proceed through an intersection, you use judgment. Should I stay or should I go? Come on. Do I, the light's green, but that don't necessarily mean everybody sees it's red on the other side. You, you judge it. You look both ways before you cross the street. Come on. Employers must judge and evaluate. That's a better word here. Evaluation. They must evaluate whether someone's doing a good job and deserves a raise, whether someone deserves a promotion. It's acceptable for schools and teachers. It's acceptable when you judge my preaching, you should. You should. The scriptures tell you to. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Speaking of the noble Bereans, what did they do? They judged everything Paul said and made sure that it lined up with the scriptures. You must evaluate what you're hearing. 
And if it's not in the scriptures and it's not of God, you must deal with the speck in my eye. But first start with the two by four in yours. Right? Let, let me put it to you another way. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, no scripture is a private interpretation. You see, most of the time when somebody wants to see the preacher about something he preached and wants to correct him, which is scriptural, they come with a private interpretation. And the Bible says you don't get a private interpretation. You get a whole body interpretation. And doctrine's been settled. Hello, church. And the great teacher was Jesus. And so if Jesus said it and the man's preaching it, leave him alone. Hello, pastors judge. We must be shepherds to protect the sheep from what is unsound doctrine. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I have to judge who comes up and speaks to you. You understand that's my responsibility. You say, well, that's just up to us. No, it ain't up to you. There's one guy for this season of this church that's going to stand before God, and it ain't you. And God's going to say, you were the one responsible. You made the call. Does anybody want to share that with me at all? Please. <laughs> just, come on, man. I don't want to be alone in that. It ain't easy. But you see, those that are called to those types of positions that have to evaluate in that way, they themselves are under enough scrutiny. I put it to people this way who want to get into the ministry, want to lead, want to teach, want to be in front of people, make decisions as leaders. I want you to see a triangle right now. The higher you go to the top in what God calls you to do, the less room you have for error yourself. Down here at the bottom, everybody's an armchair quarterback. They all know how the game should be played, what calls should be made. They know the strategy that the coach should have chosen. But when you get up to the top, and the more you're called to make the calls and the plays yourself and evaluate what must be done, it's you alone and the buck stops here. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you go out and do that, you better start with you. Because the moment you go to do that and you criterion uh, that other person in love, the whole world is going to look at you and see if your life is right. Mm. Parents, please evaluate your children. Please. I said it before, there are bathrooms at all ends of this building. There, are, there, there is a need for evaluations. Deacons evaluate budgets, and they evaluate and judge the amount of finances or the building. Elders evaluate and do church discipline. We need that. Everybody wants to vote somebody into something that will do just what they want them to do. But what we need are people that will listen and do what God tells them to do and walk according to the will of God and the Word of God, and those people have to make evaluations. We just don't care for leadership. That's our culture, but that's what we need. How are we going to recognize who we can operate in this with? Jesus helps us with that too, because it's not the world. It's not the world. You try this with people in the world, they'll never want the gospel. Hello? Matthew 7, 16, 17, 20 says, By your fruit you will recognize them. So they have fruit. You understand? This is saved people. 
This is people following Jesus that already have fruit. Doesn't mean all their fruit's good. Have you ever been by a tree that had, a tree that had some bad fruit? By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. When you walk up to an apple tree, you see apples hanging there. You say to yourself, that's an apple tree, not a pear tree, no matter what it wants to call itself. <laughs> no matter how it's identifying or what it's saying of itself, an apple tree is an apple tree. A banana tree is a banana tree. Right? Jesus said if you watch people's lifestyle, you'll see their fruit, and you can judge what kind of person they are, and you can lovingly help them. That means we must be discerning people. I want to tell you an ancient uh, Aesop fable. It was about a lion. A lion began to get old. This, this particular lion loved to eat. I can identify with him quite a bit. He loved to eat, but he was starting to get old. And it was really hard for him to go after its prey, be able to catch its prey. And, and so it devised a plan. Now, I wonder if this is reminiscent of our culture and society at all today. Tune in, stay with me. So he decided that instead of going out and doing the work, all right, and chasing down and doing what a lion does, he just stayed in his cave. And he began to cry and whimper and pretend he was sick. And he let the animals come to him. I don't know if you're tracking with me or not, okay? So as the animals, the dumb ones, came to him, my wife and I call these frequent flyers, but that's another, that's another thing. But uh, he let, the dumb animals would come to the mouth of the cave and hear the lion begin to cry, and they'd say, well, what's the matter? What's the matter, little lion? What, what's wrong? He'd say, I'm sick. I'm sick. Well, what can we do? You can come in here and help me. You can come and help me and talk with me. And as each of those little animals got inside of that cave, guess what happened? I know you're not seven years old, but all right. Well, the wily fox came along to the cave. The wily fox could hear the lion because the lion could hear and smell him. And the fox said, I hear you in there, lion. What's wrong? You're usually out here chasing us around. And he said, I'm sick. You must come inside and help me. Help me. My best sick lion I can do. That's, that's it. That's all you're getting. So uh, the fox said, well, listen, I'm not coming inside the cave. Why? Because I see tracks going in, but I don't see tracks coming out. Let me tell you something about sick Christians who need the truth. They hide. They expect resource and people to come to them. Oh, you didn't catch any of that, did you? Went right over your head. You're laughing about the, my interpretation of a sick lion. But here's the deal. They're by themselves. They're alone. They're in darkness. They're in a cave. And they want people to come to them. The only problem is, is people come in, but they don't come out. Can I help you? Can I help you with someone that's a sick believer? I, I want to help you with this, okay? Look at how the people are treated in their life. You can start with their kids. You can start with their grandkids. Do their kids get along with them? I don't like you now, Pastor. I'm using judgment. Do their kids get along with them? 
Can they love on their kids? Can they have a relationship with their Are you listening to me? Well, you don't know what this kid's doing. Um, you're the parent. Just like I'm the pastor, you have no idea what church people do. They're kids. You think people grow up? They do not. This is no different than youth ministry. This is no different than youth ministry. The stuff I hear on a weekly basis, oh, I got no friends. Everybody's like, he done lost his mind. I'm here to tell you. I'll tell you the truth. This is no different than youth. I deal with the same stuff with a 70-year-old adult that I do with a, did with a 17-year-old kid. And you know what I do? I gotta love them. I gotta go after them. Right? Jesus left the 99 for the one. Right? But I don't have to climb into that cave with them. And I... I don't have to get eaten alive. Maybe this was for Sunday morning. I got the wrong crowd, I think. I'm not sure. I don't have to go into that cave with them and die. I got to love them, but I don't have to. That's not my Calvary. And there's only one that could die for them. And I'm here to bring him to that person. Hello, man, that set somebody free, I hope. What's the principle? Evaluation. It begins with the man in the mirror. I remember uh, the music man. You remember that movie, The Music Man? Anybody? There's culture in this room. Praise God. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, cheap, talk a lot, pick a little more. Sounds like church. <laughs> you ever seen The Music Man? It's, it's a pretty cool movie, you know, musical, you know, but pick a little, talk a little, pick a little. Oh, there's a bunch of women that get around. And they tell this guy this. And they all start singing this, right? Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, cheap, 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 talk a little more, right? Because as soon as somebody has an issue, as soon as somebody stepped in something and they can't get it off, they can't shake it off, they stepped in it, there's people who come around and pick and talk, cheap, cheap, cheap. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when your brother's falling, that you make fun of him. I'm not talking about that you judge his heart. I'm going to land the plane with that in just a second. You, none of us have any business judging anybody's heart. Why? Because you can't even judge your own. Jeremiah says, our own hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? Who can? Only God. Not us. I can't even understand my own heart. Can I help you with this? I'll help you with this. When you were a kid and you were little, you went into your kitchen Mom and Dad said you could have some ice cream. Woo! Yeah! Ice cream. You scream. We all scream for ice cream. And you pulled out the ice cream, you had some, and then you left the ice cream in the kitchen. And it melted all over the table. And it dripped off the table. And Mom and Dad went to your room and they said, you let the ice cream melt. And then they asked you the famous line. Famous. Why did you leave out the ice cream? just to melt. And your famous answer is, oh, oh, oh. Remember, 770, same person. Oh, same person. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Then you grow up. Then you, you grow up and you get kids. And they go do the same honking thing. 
You go, you go in there and say, why? And you did it too. But now you go to your kids. You say, why did you leave out the ice cream? Why'd you leave the milk out? Why didn't you shut the door? Come on, man. We were born in a barn. Why do you leave the lights on? You couldn't be more right. You don't know. You don't know why your heart does what your heart does. You don't know how many people I've dealt with that love Jesus and they're still dealing with things. And you come and you go, what's wrong with you? What? <laughs> right? You're, I can't believe you did this. What's wrong with you? And they're like, I don't know. And they don't. God does. Here's why Jesus in the passage says, why do you look at the speck in your... Hang on to that word. Why? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And don't consider first the log or the two-by-four in your own. Here's why he says why. You want to know why? Be very quiet. I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to watch and see you're all here. Oh, no! I don't. You don't either. You don't. He does. Every single one of us have got a heart. And inside that heart, stuff's going on that you can't fix. You need Him for all of it. And you need the body of Christ. And in humility, we say, God, please, I don't know. I don't know. God, by Your grace, by Your power, change me. I'm tired of the cave. It's not fair that I call people into my life and I eat them alive when they try to love me and they try to care for me. It's not right, God. God, only you know the why of my heart. We don't get called by Jesus in fruit inspection and in evaluation to judge the why of the heart. You never get to say, I know why you did that, because you're a shameful fill-in-the-blank. Only God knows the heart. The only thing you and I are called to do is to begin with our own issue. Lay it before God in deep humility. And then like James says, you come to your brother, considering yourselves first, and you come in meekness and gentleness to begin to discuss what's going on in their life. We are spec inspectors. But while we are spec inspectors, we are humble, gentle. We treat the person with the thorn in their finger like I would treat my daughters, with care, with love. In his book, In the Grip of Grace, Max Lucado devoted an entire chapter to godless judging. I want to read just part of it. It says, it's one thing to have an opinion. It's another to pass a verdict. But is there any act more delightful than judging and condemning others? There is something smug and self-satisfying about donning the robe, stepping behind the bench, slamming down the gavel, and saying guilty heart. Standing next to all the Mussolinis, the Hitlers, the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world, we boast, look, God, compared to them, I'm not too bad at all. 
But that is the problem. God doesn't compare us to them. God's standard is God. And He compares us to His Son, Jesus Christ. And then He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there is no one who does anything good on his own. I'll end with this idea here. First Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. To put it another way, I can judge what you do, but I can't judge the why you do it. Not my place. I can't judge your eternity. I can't judge where you're at in your heart with God. All I can say is, my brother, my sister, I love you. God has better. And I can encourage you. Come, let's work together. Let, let me be your friend. Uh, I want to be accountable to you. You be accountable to me. You know why we do it this way? Because we're not a club. We're a family. And in a family, people are raised. In a family, people are matured. In a family, people change. People grow up in a family. That's why. That's why. I love in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's a, uh, there's a story, Nathan the prophet. Very good story. I'd like you to read it on your own if you could. But Nathan the prophet comes to David. Um, you, you have to understand how even the prophets came into the king's presence. They came in and bowed, exposing their neck. You have to understand that it, it doesn't matter that Nathan's a prophet. He could have been beheaded for what he came in to confront David about. You want to talk about love? Here's a man that's putting his life on the line to tell the king what the king needs to hear. That's love. I know this culture separates truth and love and says they're two different things. Oh, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. Nathan comes in, confronts the king, and he does it this way, not with criticism, not condemning. He tells him a story. He says, I want you to imagine there's a rich man who has all of the sheep he could possibly want. And he lives right across the street from another man who has only one, who has only one sheep. And this rich man, I'm going to elaborate a little bit, this rich man begins to throw a party and he wants the sheep that lives across the street. So he goes and takes this poor man's one sheep. He kills the sheep, I don't know, begins to make lamb chops with this sheep. David gets angry. He's upset. I want to know who this man is now. We're going to deal with him harshly now. This man is not of God. Listen to the condemning voice of David. He's critical. He's condemning. This isn't what Jesus is saying to do. We'll bring him in and he'll pay back four times what he took, which was the law at the time. And Nathan goes, the man is you. When you took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, you took his one sheep. It's you. And David began to weep. Now, watch this. Nathan did not condemn David. David condemned David. See how that works? The goal isn't to get anybody to condemn anybody. The goal is just to bring truth. And if the first response is repentance, 
no one is condemned. Unfortunately for David, that wasn't the first response. Later, he and Bathsheba have a son, and the son dies. You know the rest of the story. David weeps. He realizes that his sin had cost him, and what it had cost his friend, what it had cost his family. The point is that it doesn't collaterally cost anyone else. Sin costs. This is why in love we're willing to put our neck on the line. Remember that the next time someone comes, me too, and says, I love you. I don't think this is working for you, man. Can I pray with you? 